Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Hello, everyone. I am Israel Wayne, and I want to welcome you to another edition of the Family Renewal Podcast. And I am blessed today to have uh, author and conference speaker Ginger Hubbard with me to talk about parenting. And so we are going to be talking about uh, six mistakes that discipline mistakes that parents make. And I just want to give you a little bit of uh, bio here for Ginger. She is the author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms. I can't believe you just said that. And she speaks at all kinds of conferences, uh, homeschooling conferences, parenting conferences, women's events. Uh, and she would be a great person to have come and speak at your event. Uh, she's also the host of the Parenting with Ginger Hubbard podcast. And our ministry here is called Family Renewal. And we have a great emphasis on the importance of parenting. And of course, child training and discipline is an important part of that. I'm pretty picky about who I bring on the podcast, particularly to talk about parenting. I've written some parenting books myself. I have 11 children and uh, have read a lot of parenting books, and I like almost none of them. And so it really makes it interesting uh, with this whole issue because uh, there's so many books out there in the Christian marketplace telling people how to raise their children, and most of them are terrible. They're horrible. I wouldn't let my dog read those books. Uh, and I have a small handful that I like. And by that, I mean, literally just like this. Um, and so uh, Ginger's books are uh, among the elite that I like. And she has a, a great mix of biblical wisdom, but also practical application. And that's a rare combination. So uh, Ginger, welcome to the Family Renewal Podcast. Wow, Israel, what an introduction. I am just so honored to be on with you because I very much admire your ministry, your writing, and I'm with you. I've read a lot of parenting books that I feel like is given, you know, some not so biblical, not so good advice. And everything I've read from you is just so in line with the word of God and reaching their hearts. And so, um, I was just thrilled when you, I've been wanting to be on your podcast for a long time because I do admire uh, your your goal to really stick to the Bible instead of what you think. And so um, I've wanted to be on for a long time. So it's such an honor and thank you so much for uh, trusting me to be on your show. Well, we were at a, a conference recently, you and I kind of travel similar circuits and gets across paths usually several times throughout the year, which is great. And we were at a conference uh, fairly recently, and we got talking about your journey into publishing and uh, being an author. And it's a fascinating story. I, I was so happy that I asked you at the conference uh, about it because I hadn't heard that backstory. And, and also, I think you probably know this, but every single person I've ever met has a book inside of them, right? They, everybody yep. wants to write a book. And yep. when they find out that I'm an author, they're always like, so how do you get into publishing? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think for some people, they they feel like, you know, maybe you're born into it. And I kind of was born into it. <laughs> yeah. My mom started a publishing company back in the 1980s. And so I did actually grow up in that world. But a lot of most people don't. 
and you did. Right. And right. so tell us a little bit just about how you got started in, in publishing, because it, it wasn't like you just set out one day and said, I think I'm going to make a career change and I want to be a Christian author. It didn't go down that way. But what happened? It did not go. It did not go down that way. And I appreciate you asking me because that is such a fun story to tell. Um, just as a little uh, background, I did not do very well in school at all. As a matter of fact, I barely made it through high school. Uh, but I did go two years to a junior college and I made, which is crazy, I made A's and B's all in junior college, except for one class where I made a D and it was public speaking. <laughs> and the teacher told me, uh, you will never have a career in public speaking. And I'm telling you, the only reason she gave me a D is because she didn't want me to come back a ne- another semester and have to sit and <laughs> listen to me another semester. So she, <laughs> she was gracious to give me a D. <laughs> So all that to say, uh, speaking and writing was not something that was even on my radar. And I read a book, which I'm sure you probably like this one, too, because we definitely have the same taste in parenting books. Uh, But I read a book uh, by Ted Tripp called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Most people have heard of that. And it's on my short list, yes. Yes, yes, mine too. And that quickly became my favorite parenting book. Mm -hmm. And so a friend and I started leading a very small moms group. It started out maybe 10 moms and then grew up to a big whopping 30 moms. Uh, And we met twice a month. And my friend and I took turns teaching on the principles taught in Ted's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And we were all just so excited about that teaching. And everybody was just so motivated and so pumped up about reaching the hearts of our kids. But Ted really wasn't telling us how to do it. And moms, we just like practical application. And I know that can be dangerous in parenting books, but but that's just something that we needed. And so in our group, uh, we were talking about how we really wanted to implement these principles being taught and reaching past outward behavior and really pulling out what was going on in the heart. And so I created this little chart called Wise Words for Moms. And at first, it just had a couple of maybe five behaviors that my kids were struggling with. And I basically uh, just came up with two or three heart probing questions to help get past that outward behavior and just try to help the child evaluate his own heart and, and find out the sin issue that was behind that behavior. And then I did. So it was like a three step thing, asking the heart probing questions, which is something that Ted recommended. And then uh, step two is what to put off, what God's word says about that particular behavior and what it leads to. And then step three is what to put on, how to replace what is wrong with what is right, all in accordance with scripture. So I did, uh, there's 22 behaviors on it now because it started out with just five, what my kids were struggling with. But as I took this little chart to our group of 20 or 30 moms, they were saying, well, what about whining? Well, what about complaining? Well, what about speaking disrespectfully. And so it wound up having 22 behaviors on it. And the moms just loved it because we're busy. You know, moms are busy. And sometimes we, in the heat of the moment, we don't have time to figure out what is at the heart of these behaviors and where does it really address these issues in the scripture. So basically I created a cheat sheet. That's what moms refer to it as. I just sat down and did the homework for everyone. So it went over really well in our group and was just such an encouragement. And it was a blessing to all of us. And so I wanted to thank Ted because it was his book that motivated me to put this little chart together. So I Googled and found out that he was the pastor of a church in Pennsylvania. And I mailed him a copy of the chart, which didn't look anything like it does today. I mean, it was just typed out literally on a typewriter and ran off at 
speedy print or whatever it was back then and stapled together. I mean, this really, you know, tacky little thing. And so I mailed him a copy with a thank you note and just said, I'm leading this mom's group and we're just so motivated by your book. We love your work. And that inspired me to put this little thing together. And I just wanted you to see it. You know, it's Ted Tripp. I didn't expect to hear back. I thought maybe I'll get, you know, like an autographed postcard with his picture or something. But instead, his son, Aaron, uh, who runs Shepherd Press Publishing, which is the publisher of Ted's books, gives me a call and says, we would like to publish Wise Words for Moms. And that just blew blew my mind. That was just not even on my radar. And so I was just so excited. And uh, right before it went to print, Aaron said that that was something that Ted had been looking for because the, the response that we were, that I was getting in my mom's group was the same response that Ted was getting in a lot of his seminars where moms come up and I'm so excited. I'm so motivated, but how do I do it? So he was excited to have a tool that he could take that was written by a mom that was in the trenches And so they published it. And then right before it went to print, I called and asked Aaron if he would put my phone number, my home phone number on the back of this chart. I mean, I didn't know any better. And I thought, uh, because in our mom's group, we recorded all of our messages. And I had like five or six messages that was on cassette tape back then, which I know a lot of your listeners don't even know what a cassette tape is. Um, So that just totally dated myself. But um And I thought, you know, some of these moms might be encouraged with my cassette tape. So I ran off, go to my church, get in their little media room, ran off maybe five or 10 copies of each one of my sessions. And I thought I was just maybe going to mail it to some moms that might be encouraged. Well, the next thing I know, I start getting calls from all over the country, uh, moms groups and homeschool conventions asking me to come speak. And so that chart just launched a national speaking ministry. It just really dropped in my lap. It was not something that I was pursuing, which makes it kind of neat because I knew that it was from God because it wasn't doors that I was banging on. And so anyway, so fast forward, I had been speaking I put together a little seminar called Reaching the Heart of Your Child, and I'd been speaking on that for maybe two or three years. And I thought, you know, I have enough material here to actually write a book. And so about the time I got serious about that, I found out that Ted was going to be uh, keynoting at the Alabama State Homeschool Convention, which I live in Alabama. If you haven't figured it out by now, I can't hide Southern. Obviously, I'm from the South. So I... um uh, called Aaron and I said, I uh, see that your dad's going to be keynoting in Alabama at that convention. That's only an hour from where I live. I would love to meet with him because I have an idea for a book that I want to run by him. And so um, Aaron said that he would uh, let him know. And I didn't hear back that months. I didn't hear anything back. And I jumped every time the phone rang. And then the morning of the day that he was going to be keynoting at that convention, I'd given up all hope to hear anything from him. He calls and said that he wanted to meet with me. And I was already embarrassed because I had told everybody in this town that I was going to be meeting with Ted. So the fact that he had not called me, I was going to have to eat my words. And actually, when he called, because it was the day of and I'd given up hope, one of my friends called. <laughs> and and, and I, well, one of my friends had been teasing me about Ted calling me. And so when Ted called, I actually thought it was my friend pretending to be Ted. And I all, I almost said, whatever, Tim, and hung up on him. That's so <laughs> awkward. <laughs> so, but it was Ted. And he said that he could meet with me. So I packed up both of my kids, all their schoolwork, took them over to my best friend's house. And then I practiced my spiel 
all the way to Montgomery in the car. And so I sat across from Ted and I will never forget it. I was so intimidated, Israel, so intimidated. And my heart was just pounding. And so I remember telling him my idea about this book. I had a little outline that I gave him to look at while I was telling him about it. And I remember he was eating a cheeseburger and fries as I was doing my little spill. And then when I finished, he slid my outline back across the table to me. And he said, I think it's a great idea, but I think you're too young to write a parenting book. He said, I didn't realize how young you were in, when we published Wise Words for Moms. And he said, so great idea. Call me in 10 years and we'll talk about it then. And so at that point, I'm very passionate about this. And so all the intimidation left me at once. And I said, well, you know, Jesus was like 33 when he started his ministry. And Paul told Timothy not to be discouraged because of his age. Totally Holy Spirit moment there. And so Ted just grins from ear to ear, pulls the outline back across the table to him. And he said, OK, I'll look at it. And so one year later, Don't Make Me Count to Three was published. And so that's how I became a writer and speaker. So it, all that to say, it's a good encouragement for folks that when God tells you to do something, no matter how small it is, just be faithful in that little thing. Mm -hmm. And when we're faithful in the little things and we really want to honor God in those things, he can use it in big ways and he will. So, well, and I would add to that, that the strength of the message is so important because uh, there are people who have uh, great marketing skills and people who kind of know how to work a system and can get published. But mm -hmm. ultimately, the test of longevity is going to be do you have something to say? And I think the content of your books have spoken for themselves that families have found help and have been benefited from the materials they've read uh, that you've written. And so that, that gets around, you know, people tell their friends and when someone says, uh, what have you found to be helpful for you in your parenting journey? And someone says, well, Ginger Hubbard's books are great. Um, th that really gives you a staying power to be able to continue to do what you do. So uh, just encourage anyone who's out there thinking about how do I break into this, you know, make sure your content is good because mm -hmm. If it's if it's life giving and it really helps people, I, I believe it'll find a it'll find an audience. It'll mm -hmm. it'll find its way to the platform that you need. So, yeah. So obviously, um, you have experience as a mom, but I know also when you travel around, you speak, you talk to other families, um, mm -hmm. you do what you do and what I do. You, you learn a lot from conversations, from hearing other people's experiences, from you know, just watching family dynamics and so forth. And so you've learned a lot about some common mistakes that people make, particularly with discipline. And mm -hmm. you've outlined six of those mistakes that tend to address behavior, but don't really get down to the heart that don't mm -hmm. really address the heart. So uh, can you, can you talk about what some of those are and, and maybe let's start with, with the number one discipline mistake that parents make? Okay. Well, there's uh, quite a few, but I would say one, and I've made all of them. So, <laughs> oh, me too, me too. And I'm actually going to share. I'm going to share that because I don't want anyone to think that I've always got it all together. You know, my goal was to have it all together, but then I had two kids. <laughs> so, you know, I read all those parenting books. I'm telling you, Israel, is as avidly as I read all those what to expect when you're expecting books before right. I was even pregnant. I was reading all the how to raise them now that you got them books before they could even crawl. And I just thought if I just have this great plan, everything's going to work out well. But, you know, then you have two kids and reality hits. 
So yeah, one is, I would say one of the ones that is really common is bribing. Mm. And, um, it's just, it's just one of those mistakes that parents make that really fails to reach the heart. And it's probably one of the easiest traps to fall into mm-hmm. uh, because it's just so tempting to say uh, something like, you know, honey, if you obey mom in the store today, I'll give you some candy. Yep. And I observed this mom in Walmart um, not too awful long ago telling her, I don't know, he looked like he was maybe two and a half or three years old to come to her. And the child just took off running in the other direction. And this mom in desperation, like I've done before, yells out, you know, all the way across the aisle in Walmart, come to mommy and I'll give you a sucker. And of course, the child goes from hearing impaired to exceptional hearing and comes very quickly to mom's side. But if you think about it, this is not training the child in obedience. Mm -hmm. This is actually rewarding the child for stubbornness because giving them a reward in order to get them to obey, that encourages them in selfishness because their motive for obeying is, sure, I'll obey for what I can get out of it. And that's a selfish reason. Children should be taught to obey because it's right and because it pleases God not to get a reward. That's right. It's interesting, too, how that that in some ways equips the child to train the parent. Mm -hmm. Um, The the parent becomes trained by the child that, hey, if I want my child to do something, I have to perform. I have to do this in order to get what I want. And it's incredibly manipulative situation. It is. It is. Who's the parent? Who's who's training who here? Yeah. So so, so what's what's the second uh, mistake parents make? Okay. So another one is threatening. And (laughs) I would say that this one usually comes after we have repeated our instructions several times to no avail. And so we pull out the big guns. If you don't start sharing your toys right now, I'm going to send them all off to kids who will share. But, you know, this teaches them that mommy doesn't mean what she says. You know, how many of our parents in an attempt to get us to appreciate our toys talked about the kids on the other side of the world who don't have any toys? But how many of our parents actually followed through with that threat and gathered up and boxed up and taped up all of our toys and then shipped them off to 10 buck too? We need to avoid saying things that we don't mean um, because that's going to cause our children to question our word. And if we cry wolf too many times, we'll eventually lose our effectiveness because our kids will lose respect for our authority. You know, so our children need to have confidence that our word is our word. And when they have that confidence, it actually brings a sense of security to their lives. And so, and again, you know, Israel, let me just say it, it sounds like, you know, that I've got it all together and you know, all these things and you didn't do these things. And I just don't want people to think for one second that I didn't blow it in some of these areas, you know, with my kids, I, I read all the parenting books and I even wrote a couple of them. So I totally knew better, but I would still in the heat of the moment, find myself doing this. And I remember one night in particular, Um, one afternoon when I found myself threatening my kids because I homeschooled my kids all the way through. They're 27 and 25 now and they graduated college. So, you know, like I said, I barely made it through high school. So if I can do it, anybody can do it. And, but I remember they had, uh, we'd finished all the schoolwork for the day and I'd been telling them that they needed to get their rooms cleaned up and they were just procrastinating and just not doing what I was telling them to do. And so I pulled out the big guns and I threw out a threat. And I said, you know what? If you guys don't hurry up and get these rooms cleaned up, you are not spending the night with Nana and Papa tonight. Okay, Israel, I knew good and well, 
I wasn't about to forfeit my night alone with no kids in order to follow through with that threat. We moms need a break. But I threw out that threat and I did not follow through with it because I was looking forward to having a night with no kids to do whatever I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I think about that verse, uh, Matthew 537, it says simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, we are to say what we mean and mean what we say or we're going to exasperate our kids. And, you know, really anything other than that is unfair because they won't know when to take us seriously. You know, Proverbs 15, 28 says that we are to weigh our answers. That means that we really need to think before we speak. So we need to try not to issue that warning or that command and unless we're willing to follow through and try not to say yes or no to something until we're you know certain that's our definite answer. We had a situation yesterday with one of our children where um, they were kind of covering up a situation. And I told them, I said, you have two choices in front of you. The one is that you can confess to what you did because we already know about it. It's not like we don't know, but you can confess about it. And if you do, um, your discipline will be very limited. Mm -hmm. But if you double down and you don't confess, then it's going to be more strict. Mm, and you're going to lose, lose some privileges mm-hmm. and they doubled down and they, they wouldn't confess. And so mm-hmm. I said, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're losing these privileges and so forth. So last night, my wife and I were out taking a walk around the block in our neighborhood. And she's like, well, you know, we could probably, you know, that, that's pretty, a pretty uh, strong discipline. You know, that, that restriction uh, is pretty severe and, you know, that's a, that's a big loss to them. And maybe, you know, if they come around, we can give that back to them. And I said, they had an opportunity in front of them. Mm -hmm. If I go back on that, what does Mm -hmm. that teach them about me and the value that I place on my own words? No, yeah, that's, that's, I often tell people, you know, if, if you as a parent don't value your own words, why should your child value your words? If your words don't mean anything to you, then Mm -hmm. why should they mean anything to your child? So it's really good stuff. Mm-hmm. So what's what's the next thing that comes to mind? Yeah, and it kind of goes right along with what you're saying there. The next one that I wanted to talk about, um, which is repeating our instructions. Uh, you know, threatening is kind of along the same lines as repeating our instructions or going back on our instructions or, or our consequences even, which is what you're talking about. And those are also traps we don't want to fall into. So I, I admire, you know, that you guys came to that conclusion and to stick to your guns on it. Uh, my oldest son, Hudson, he is a total history buff, especially when it comes to battles and war history. And he's really helped me to have a deeper understanding of of battle strategies and how our military works. And one thing that I found really interesting is that when we look at some of the most admirable and successful generals in our country, we see that they all had one thing in common. They were certain of their commands before they issued them. You know, think about it. Soldiers, they don't respect or respond well to an uncertain or inconsistent leader, which is interesting because it goes right along with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 8. He says, for when the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? And so that illustration that you just gave was just a perfect example of that, Israel, because that's how it is in parenting. You know, if we issue these half-hearted commands, uh, or go back on what we've said as far as consequences, um, 
and we don't require, you know, our children to follow through with what we've said, we send mixed signals and that, yeah. And that can even cause our children to question their own positions in the family, because when they become uncertain of what and how to respond to our instructions, that that's going to be, that's going to put some insecurities and uncertainty in their own hearts. When we're uncertain and inconsistent and wishy-washy in our instructions, they're going to be insecure and unsure of their own actions. So, you know, all that to say, we really want to strive to lead our children with confidence so that they can find security and stability in their call to obedience. I want to jump in on something just to highlight the wisdom of what you're saying. There, there's a book that was very popular uh, in our circles, the Christian circles, and, and, and a lot of families have read it. I'm going to change the name of it to uh, protect the identity. Um, but it's something like 101 Creative Ways to Discipline Your Child. And uh, <laughs> it's not the real title, but it's, it's, mm-hmm. in, that, yeah. it's in that genre. And it, it's like the, the main thrust of it is like, you know, here's a different disciplinary technique that you can implement every day so that it doesn't get boring and it doesn't get mundane. And, you know, I see a lot of moms, especially who really want to follow that. And what you're saying is that children thrive on predictability and consistency. Mm-hmm. They don't thrive on I wonder what random, chaotic, um, hap- happenstance approach my mother's going to take to discipline today. That's you know, right. Is she um, today? Maybe I get sent to my room. Tomorrow she screams and yells. The next day she, you know, doesn't do anything because she's too tired. And the next day, you know, um, children don't thrive on that. They no. thrive on knowing where the boundaries are. And right. this is how the family works. And they, yep. this is how my mom works. This is how my dad works. And and sticking to that, that consistency is so important. That's right. And boundaries, you know, what you're saying there really with boundaries come freedom. Because when we establish boundaries for our children, we're actually giving them the freedom to determine when there'll be consequences. They're corrected by their own choice rather than it being based on the mood or the whim or the emotion of the parent. When we set those standards, set those boundaries, and we consistently correct or, or discipline our children when they overstep those boundaries, that that really puts security in their hearts because they they're not having to walk on eggshells. They're not having to wonder what's going to happen next. They know, and so that that brings some security and comfort. Yeah, in the, the hearts of our psalmist. Kids. The psalmist said, "The boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places." Mm-hmm. And you know, we sometimes think as a parent that we're being cruel and mean by providing those boundaries, and yet it really is when we think about. Even the 23rd Psalm, that shepherding that the the shepherd does where he leads us into green pastures and so forth. There's also the rod and the staff of correction Mm -hmm. and discipline that provide the structure and the boundaries for us so we can be safe, so we can truly thrive within that environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I love what you're saying there. I want to also hone in on what you said about repeating, going back to that point, and and that being an example of um, of us not valuing our words. What I've learned from experience is that when you have to repeat over and over and say, uh, I'm telling you for the third time, stop jumping on the couch. What happens there is usually the volume goes up Mm -hmm. and repeating quickly moves into yelling. Mm -hmm. Um, And yelling is another kind of form, I think, of uh, what some people feel like they have to do. I've had moms say, I can't get my child to listen to me unless I yell. Mm-hmm. And so what yep. do you say to that mom who says, that's the only way my child will obey me. Is right. If I scream, then right. all of a sudden they 
do what I want. But if I don't do that, they just ignore me. They don't even look at me. They don't respond to me. They just keep doing what they're doing. What what do you right. say? Yep. And, and that goes right along with what we're saying there is, you know, you have the parent that issues that first command and the child looks up and says, eh, I got plenty of time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then the command comes a little bit louder and the child looks up and says, well, mom's eyeballs and neck veins aren't bulging yet. I still think I got a little bit of time. And then finally, <laughs> when she blows her top and unloads both barrels, they obey, not because it's the right thing to do, but to avoid having to suffer mom's wrath. And mm-hmm. that is not good. We children will rise to the standards that the parents set. You know, we want to teach our children to obey the first time we say it. And so that, that, that is just so much more peace and calm. And it's definitely more biblical. And then they, again, have that security of knowing what to expect. But is that possible? I, I know a lot of parents who would say that it's not possible to teach a child to obey the first time you say something. Well, and by that, and let me, it, let me it, define it, that. Let me define that real quickly. By that, where a child has been instructed, they've mm-hmm. been told, you know, you're not allowed to jump on the couch. And then you leave the room, you come back in three minutes later, you find them jumping on the couch. So they've right. already been told once. That's so I right. I want to define the parameters of what I mean by that. Right. And, you but, know, with young kids. Is that possible to have a child that, that can eventually learn how to respond? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, not that they won't always choose that, but mm-hmm. they can learn that at a very young age. And it's through us being consistent, us letting them know the standards and having consequences when those standards are violated. You know, and we do that with young kids, um, even kids who are, you know, not necessarily very verbal, um, they learn the law of the harvest. They learn that God has built the principle of sowing and reaping into their worlds. And with that lesson comes wisdom, wisdom to make good choices. So that is a lesson that we want to teach, not avoid. Sure. So what's another mistake that we make that that maybe hinders that progress? Because the more that we make these discipline mistakes, we're not, it's not going, this law of sowing and reaping you talked about, it's not going to bring the harvest that we want. So That's when right. We're, when we're using the wrong methods, we're planting the wrong seeds, we're using the wrong uh, approaches, mm-hmm. we're not going to get that that harvest of righteousness in our child's life. Yep. So what's another method that we might be using as parents that would hinder the success that we want to see uh, of actually reaching our child's heart and having them obey from their heart? Okay. And this I, this one, I think, is one that, that we don't really think about um, very often, but it's when we try to appeal to their emotions. Mm-hmm. And I would say, moms, we're probably a little bit better or worse, I should say this, um, than the dad sometimes. Um, you know, I think as a mom, one of the most typical ways that we might do this is by trying to make them feel guilty with something like, you know, I mean, after all I do for you, this is how you repay me. <laughs> you know, as moms, we do so much for our kids and we do make so many sacrifices. So it can be really easy for us to start, I don't know, feeling sorry for ourselves and think that our kids owe us obedience, but we want their motives for obeying to come from a heart to please God, not from a parent inflicted guilt trip. And let me just say that, you know, putting a guilt trip on our kids 
It might sometimes be effective because our kids love us. It could be effective for manipulating their behavior. But even if it does, it stems from a wrong motive. It would be with a motive of people pleasing. And that's really not a healthy way to live. You take it from a still recovering people pleaser. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of times I think the temptation to appeal to our kids' emotions by doing things like trying to make them feel guilty, its it really stems from our own sinful hearts, Israel, yeah. because we're, we're selfish by nature. We're all sinful. And so because we're selfish by nature, we're tempted to internalize it when our kids choose to disobey our instructions. But here's what we need to realize is that when we're being self-focused, we're going to view their disobedience as sin, a sin against us instead mm-hmm. of a sin against God. And that's a problem. Again, we don't want our motive we don't, we don't want to motivate our kids to obey because it pleases us, because that is going to cause our kids to develop unhealthy habits that can lead to emotional bondage of people pleasing. We want to motivate our kids to be God pleasers, not people pleasers. Colossians 3.20 says, children, obey your parents in everything because this pleases the Lord. That's the right motive that we want to encourage in our kids. That's good. And I want to dial in on that just a little bit more. Um, What is the difference then between manipulating, putting our child on a guilt trip, trying to play the poor me card uh, to make them, you know, respond to us through emotional manipulation? What's the difference between that, which which is a mistake and we shouldn't do, Mm -hmm. and helping them to properly understand um, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, um, responding to you know, God's commands, how, how can we make sure we're clear and differentiating if we're, if we're leveraging them in some way mm-hmm. by our words to, to mm-hmm. communicate that their behavior is wrong? How, how do we do that? You, you said, you know, obviously pointing them toward God that, that right. they ultimately want to please. Right. We want them to have a an, an eternal Christ-centered perspective on it. So instead of focusing, and that's the problem with so many parents, is they only focus on that outward behavior. They've developed this philosophy that if they can get their kids to act right, to behave, that they're raising them the right way. But there is so much more to parenting than getting our kids to act right. We have to get them to think right and to be motivated out of a love of God, a love for what's right, a love to please him instead of a fear of punishment. And so we want to turn them, we want to help them understand that it's not necessarily the outward behavior, it is the sin in the heart that's driving that outward behavior that we want to help them understand. Because when they learn to evaluate their own motives and then they begin to recognize their sin, um, that's going to help them to recognize their need for Christ. And that is our ultimate goal because he, Jesus is our only hope for redemption and change. So it's not about outward behavior. It's about getting to the heart, the sin issue of the heart, and helping our children see it from a, a God perspective mm-hmm. and then um, pointing them to Jesus, who is the only hope for redemption and change. Amen. But that is our motive. Amen. Very good. Well, your most famous book is Don't Make Me Count to Three. And mm-hmm. as an author, that's one of those titles that's killer. You know, you always want to try to come up with a title that's catchy that people can remember. Uh, I think I've only succeeded with that once in my life where our, the book, book Brooke and I wrote Pitching a Fit. 
Yep. I uh, love that one. That yeah. one worked. Uh, we were able to come up with a catch, a catchy hook for that one. Yeah. But, um, but w- what's wrong with that approach? Like that's the one I see in the grocery store the most, you know, the kid yep. is yep. in the, the candy aisle and he's got the Snickers bar and he's starting to open it and he's going to eat it right there in the aisle. And, and, and the mom is trying to manipulate the three-year-old or the dad, you know, yep. to, to obey and, and to put the candy bar back or whatever. And mm-hmm. they're like, you know, don't make me count three. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's such a common, accepted, promoted method. Um, what What is the value and, and what's the detriment to that? I mean, I, I assume um, that parents are doing it because they think it's effective. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And there's so many of them that'll still stand on that soapbox saying it's effective. It works for my kids. Uh, hold that. Though. I want to answer that question. But first, I just have yeah, to say yeah. this uh, off yeah. of what you were saying about uh, about finding the catchy titles. Yeah. It's funny because Don't Make Me Count to Three is a catchy title, but it can also be misinterpreted mm-hmm. uh, thinking that I'm promoting counting to three. And that mm-hmm. has actually happened a few times. The first time, Israel, as soon as that book came out, uh, it was the very first interview that I got in invited to do. And I honestly can't even remember where it was. And and it was a TV thing. I don't remember which show it was, but this is so funny. I took my mom with me and I was so nervous, you know, because that's very different from speaking. You know, when you go to speak, you kind of, you know what you're going to say, you've got your outline and you're prepared. But when you go and interview with somebody, you don't know what they're going to ask you. So I was a nervous wreck. And so I'm standing off stage and it was live. So there was no editing. And they had just interviewed somebody else and they said, we're going to go to a commercial break. And so I'm standing off stage and the host says on this live TV thing, we're going to go for a a, a short break. And then when we come back, we're going to have Ginger come on and talk about her book, Don't Make Me Count to Three and why counting to three is such (laughs) an effective way to parent our kids. Oh, it gets worse. That's how my grandmother parented my mom. Oh, no. Parenting me and Israel, I'm standing there. I mean, I have no experience and I'm already, you know, a wreck. And so my face, I mean, and my mama's standing beside me, my face, all the blood drained because I'm like, this is live. What am I going to do? And, you know, what do you do when you're in that situation? You look to your mama to tell you what to do. So I look at mama and her face is white. She shrugged her shoulders like, I don't know. It's so bad because, I mean, if I go on and I start saying, well, I'm actually not promoting counting to three. So all these generations of your family counting to three, that makes her look foolish like she was Israel she didn't even read the back cover of the book so you know anybody anybody that's listening (laughs) even if you don't have time to read the book if you're going to enter some interview somebody at least read the back cover that's all you got to do just the back cover maybe the chapter titles it'll it'll help what a disaster that's hilarious I mean it's horrible but I never wanted to do another interview again in my whole life because it was Uh. just so, I, so oh my that's so bad oh yeah so anyway so yeah you say don't make me count to three is a great title but it has caused a little bit of confusion if you don't read the back cover <laughs> all right so yeah so you're talking about the child you know in the store they they want something they're in the grocery store and then you have the parent instead of just telling them no counting to three and then you have those parents that even hold up the three fingers you know as if that's going to be some extra incentive two and a half <laughs> Exactly. Two and a half. And so, and that's, you know, we've kind of touched on this already, but children will rise to the standard Mm. that the parents set. You know, if you don't expect your child to obey until you count to three, 
well, he's probably not going to obey until you start counting. Sure. Why not expect instant obedience? Because this really leaves no room for question or confusion. It's so much easier. It's so much more peaceful. It's definitely more biblical. And you know what is real? If my small child is about to step off the curb into a busy street, I don't want to have to count to three before he obeys. Mm-hmm. Training children to quickly obey, that really should be the standard. So we need to be aware of things like bribing and threatening and repeating our instructions two or three times, raising our voices or giving them the count of three, because these things really draw us away from teaching our children to instantly and completely obey in a way that pleases God. And, you know, I think this is a good place to add, too, that parents are often responsible for the habits of their children. When we count to three, we actually cause our children to get into the habit of delayed obedience, and delayed obedience is disobedience. What counting to three does is it encourages them to put off obeying until absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. But we want our children to view obedience as their best option, not a choice that is put off until the last minute. You know, our ultimate goal, like we just said, um, is for our children to love and obey Jesus, who is their ultimate authority. So while our children are young and in our home, we have this amazing opportunity to help them get into the habit of obeying us without delay so that hopefully when they surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, maybe they'll find it a little bit easier to obey Him without delay because we've helped them to get into that habit of obeying. So all that to say, as we consider our spiritual goals of training our children to be followers of Christ, before we begin that count to three, maybe it would uh, do us really some good to ask ourselves, do I want my child to be in the habit of obeying God the first time, the second time, or the third time? Mm. I believe it's Galatians 3.24, where the Apostle Paul says that the law was our schoolmaster or our tutor to ultimately bring us to Christ. Yep. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Yeah. I think that's Galatians. Yeah. And so there's there's a lot of different uh, translations that word it and phrase it different. And they're all good because they bring out different aspects of the same truth. Uh-huh. But but that's really what you're talking about is this discipline is a necessary measure. It's a necessary method or, or tool that we implement to the ultimate goal of that that go- of the gospel being on the inside of that child. That's right. The transforming work of the Holy Spirit, regenerating them and making them anew so that their desires change, their motives mm-hmm. change. They're not mm-hmm. just doing what they're doing out of some sort of fear of discipline, mm-hmm. but they're doing it out of a sense of, I want to please God, but that takes time. And, and in the meantime, they have to learn how to say no to themselves mm-hmm. and they have to learn how to repent. Because mm-hmm. if they never have to say no to themselves and they never have to humble themselves and they never have to confess their sin, mm-hmm. um, then they're they're not acclimated towards doing that in a relationship with God. So what you're talking about, I know some parents are chafing right now. They're not liking this. They're feeling, mm-hmm. oh, these guys are mean. Um, <laughs> no, it's it, it, the scripture says if you love your child, you will discipline your child. Discipline them for in that there is hope. That's and right. So, yeah. And it, and it, you know, think about there's that word careful. It says he, what is it? He who loves his child is careful to discipline, not abusive, 
but careful to discipline. And something else about the verse that you just brought up about the law being in charge to lead us to Christ. Um, You know, I'm sure you get this Israel sometimes too, but at my conferences, a lot of times I will have parents come up after I speak and say, you know, I mean, you're, you're using the scriptures and you're talking about uh, God doing a work in their heart, but my child isn't a Christian yet. My child Mm -hmm. hasn't come to that place where they know the Lord. So, you know, I don't really think it's beneficial to use Mm -hmm. the word of God in training my kids, but that verse, that's the, that's the thing, you know, Mm -hmm. it's the, it's Mm -hmm. the, it's the law of God that teaches us our need for Christ. Absolutely. Every time our child violates God's law, God's word, we have an opportunity again, to point them to their need for Christ. Absolutely. And, and, and to think about the verse in Hebrews, is it, uh, I, I've got that whole dyslexic thing going on. So I'm going to well, get my number. Strong about this Hebrews four, that's it. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, and so that it, that it penetrates the heart. The, the word of God. What is that verse? It's the, the word oh, of God. It, yeah, sword. The sword. It's living and active. It penetrates the heart, even to deciding soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So it's the law from God's word that teaches us our need for Christ. So yes, yes, we want to use the word of God before our children know him. Amen. That's so so good. Such good stuff. I think we have one more, right? There's one more of the six mistakes. Or have yes. we covered all of them? Yep. We, got one yep. more, nope. right? we got one more. Okay. And that is reasoning with small children. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not talking about older kids here when, you know, some mature, respectful reasoning might be appropriate sometimes. Um, I'm talking about reasoning with the younger child. Uh, example might be, you know, mom asked her six-year-old, honey, don't you want to come and eat lunch now? Mm, no, thanks, mom. I'm playing with my cars. Oh, but sweetie, your hot dog's going to get cold if you don't come and eat it now. Mm, that's okay, mom. I think I'd rather play with my cars. Well, honey, if you would come on and eat your lunch right now, we might have time to go to the park after. You see, instead of just simply telling her son what she wanted and expecting this prompt obedience, this mom is trying to talk her child into obeying. She's like in a meeting of negotiation with a four-year-old. Yes. (laughs) And that's the thing. You know, parents who try to reason with their young children normally end up frustrated. And and quite often- better at it than we are. That's what I was going to say. A lot of times we wind up outwitted. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And And then we wind up resorting to a bribe in order to get that response we're after. But here's the thing, reasoning with young children in an attempt to get them to obey, again, that causes confusion because it places that child in a position that they are not mature or responsible enough to handle. It erases that line of authority that God has placed between the parent and the child. And what it does, it it brings that child up to a peer level with a parent. Absolutely. And that that that's that's going to bring insecurity in in the heart of the child. We they need to be clear who is the parent, who is the adult. That's going to put comfort and security. So we need to clearly instruct our young children and then expect that obedience. Well, we're uh, coming up on the end of our broadcast. We have so much more to talk about. I think I'm just going to have to have you come back on uh, <laughs> at a later time so we can talk some more. Sure, but I want to I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your books. Um, because what I've learned is this, uh, I've been doing this a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, your best case scenario in a podcast is to hopefully help some parents to go, Hmm, maybe, maybe I'm not doing this all right. 
maybe mm-hmm. I'm making some mistakes here. Maybe I need to reconsider this. That's that's your best hope. Mm-hmm. And that they're open to say, I'm willing to take the next next step to look into this a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Usually it's the same thing with a blog post. And really for most cases, if you do a workshop at a conference, somebody pops in, they hear one workshop or you talk about child training discipline, it's going to be the same thing. They're going to go, hmm, okay, she brought up some good points. Uh, maybe maybe I need to consider this. Mm-hmm. So that's about as far as you can take them in this. And, and some people may think, okay, I got some good stuff. And they did. They've gotten some great practical take-home value. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you what you've gotten in this podcast is not adequate for you to have a paradigm shift in your parenting. It is not adequate. However, in Ginger's books, you are going to get all the tools that you need to equip you to be able to make substantive change in your own thinking, which will change your approach, which will impact your child in the right way. Mm -hmm. And so you you have to invest in actually buying the book. That's the first part. And then secondly, you actually have to read it (laughs) because if it sits on your shelf and you never open it, it doesn't help you. You actually have to invest the time in reading the book next mm-hmm. and then committing that you're going to apply it and that you're going to do what the book says to do uh, in, in as much as it aligns with scripture. And I wouldn't have Ginger on my program if her books did not align with scripture. So what I'm going to say is uh, you who are listening on the podcast, you need to make an investment to get her books, to read them and prepare your heart ahead of time. Hey, I'm, I'm, I need to change because what I find is parents... They say, I don't like what I'm seeing in my children. I don't like the back talking. I don't like the whining. I don't like the tattling. I don't like all this negative behavior. I don't like the, the, you know, this, the sin that's coming out of their life on a constant daily basis. It's frustrating to me. But then if you try to talk to them about how they need to change their method and their approach, they will defend themselves and fight you to the death that their approach is great and they don't need to change it. And the fact is, well, we all do. (laughs) I do. I'm I'm still in this process. I have a I have a seven a seven week old and a two year old. You know, are my two youngest, and I need to continue to change my approach. And so, um, anyway, I just want people to take very seriously that these books will help you. They can change the whole trajectory of your life and your family. But you've got to get the books and read them. So, uh, Ginger, go ahead and tell us about the books and how people can get get a, a copies of them and uh, what they can expect from those books. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, Well, we've talked a good bit about Don't Make Me Count to Three, uh, that book. And then I have another one called I Can't Believe You Just Said That. And basically, in all of my books, I, I really want to encourage parents to the common denominator in all of my writing, all of my teaching is to encourage parents to reach past that outward behavior, um, help your kids figure out what is going on in their hearts, and then address that sin from a biblical standpoint. So uh, I just, I want to help parents move past the frustrations of not knowing how to handle issues of disobedience and into a heart-oriented biblical approach to raising their kids. So that's pretty much what you can expect from all of my resources, um, as well as my podcast. Israel, you mentioned at the beginning, I started a Parenting with Ginger Hubbard podcast in February, and uh, we cover stuff like, you know, what to do when kids whine, what to do when kids lie, what to do when kids tattle, and when they uh, don't seem uh, receptive to uh, a relationship with God, we're, we're covering all 
sorts of topics like that and and really, really uh, desire to not just give tips and tricks, you know, from our own homes, but to really point people to the Word of God for training our kids and uh, helping them understand their need for Christ. You know, that that is our goal is to help our children, uh, you know, discipline and consequences. They have their place, but we want to help our children understand that higher calling of living in ways that are pleasing to God and bring him brings him the glory that he deserves. And so that's pretty much what you can expect um, from my stuff. And uh, you can get all of my resources, obviously, on my website at gingerhubbard.com. Again, the parenting podcast is Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. It's available on Spotify, Apple, you know, anywhere you listen to podcasts. I would love to connect with uh, some of your listeners there, Israel, and I you do social media? Audience? Yeah, yeah. I love to um, connect with folks on Instagram, a little bit bigger on Instagram, mm-hmm. and that is uh, at ginger.hubbard. We actually have a really awesome giveaway going on right now because, well, actually, we're probably recording this, though, Israel. It won't air soon. So never mind. Scratch that. You can that. do another one in the future. <laughs> I'll do another. When this airs, I'll do another giveaway. How about that? I'll I'll put that on on my calendar. So, but yeah, I, I would love to connect with folks. And you know, my favorite thing in the whole world to do is encourage parents. So that's what I'm all about. And I sure do appreciate you letting me come on and encourage your listeners, Israel. I know you have uh, encouraged um, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And so I'm very honored that I'm one of the few uh, parenting books that that you uh, agree with and that you like and that you think is beneficial and. I just pray that God would continue to use both of us um, for His glory. And wow. so, and let, me, and let me just say one more thing too. You, you mm-hmm. mentioned that some earlier in the show, and, and this is just on my heart right now, that, that yeah. there might be some folks that have listened to this. You and I talk about some of these uh, discipline mistakes, and I, I don't want anybody to leave here feeling defeated. Yeah. You know, I've listened to this, and they're sitting there going, man, I could check off every one of them. I've just completely blown it with my kids. It's too late. Right. Let me just say, it is never it is never too late to start training your children in the ways of the Lord. Uh, my parents actually didn't come to know Christ until I was 18 years old. Mm. And I had never even stepped foot inside of a church. I didn't know anything about God. The, I didn't know the simple things. Is I don't even know that Noah built the ark or that Jonah was swallowed by a well. I knew nothing. And when my parents started implementing biblical principles with me at, when I was 18, I rebelled. I completely rebelled. I actually left home my senior year of high school, but my parents remained faithful and they prayed for me and they kept telling me about uh, what God was doing in their lives and the things that Jesus was showing them and the Holy Spirit was showing them as they read his word and as they prayed. And God ultimately used my parents' faithfulness to continue to point me to Jesus and tell me what he was doing in their lives and the things he was revealing to them and, and the wisdom of his word ultimately use my parents' faithfulness in doing that to bring me into a personal relationship with Jesus. So if it's not too late for me, it is not too late for your kids. Wow, that is a great word of encouragement to uh, end our podcast, our time together. Again, uh, Ginger Hubbard, what's your website? One more time so people can get in touch with you. Website is gingerhubbard.com. And you can also connect with me on Instagram at ginger.hubbard. I offer lots of uh, parenting encouragement on Instagram as well. Excellent. I, again, I'm just going to reiterate, but you all need to read these books. Uh, and you, you need to not just buy them. You need to read them. And then you need to prepare your heart ahead of time and say, God, I am committing myself even before I open this book, that when I read something, 
in this book that aligns with your, your scripture aligns with your principles. And my heart is convicted about it. I'm going to change. I'm going to do what this book says to do. Uh, we can't just be hearers of the word uh, and not, a, not doers deceiving ourselves. We have to put it into practice. And I can promise you when you take God's word and, and really what Ginger's done, she's, she's taken it and she's done the homework for you. It's the cheat sheet. Like she said, it's, it's taking what the scripture teaches It's consolidating it in a practical usable format for you. When you take the scriptures and you apply them, there's power in it. There's not power in my opinion. There's not power in Ginger's opinion. There's power in the word of God. And that's what you're going to get through her resources. So Ginger, thank you so much. And I look forward to uh, having you on our podcast again at some point in the future. Thank you, Israel. All right. God bless. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation. For more information on Family Renewal, the writing and speaking ministry of Brooke and Israel Wayne, please visit familyrenewal.org.